From NPM, the National Association of Pastoral Musicians, this is episode 189 of Ministry Monday. Ministry Monday is a weekly podcast about music, ministry, and liturgy produced by the National Association of Pastoral Musicians, or NPM. What is NPM? NPM is a national association that fosters the art of musical liturgy. The members of NPM serve the Catholic Church in the United States as musicians, clergy, liturgists, and other leaders of prayer. For more information, go to npm.org forward slash join. Have a question? Email us anytime at ministrymonday at npm.org. Hello, and welcome to Ministry Monday. I'm your host, Amanda Bruce. As we look toward the spring, I can't help but stop and think about the upcoming seasons in pastoral music. Lent, Easter, and of course, followed by wedding season. Now, you may not know this, but prior to being a full-time staff member at NPM, I was the director of music at a church for 13 years that held 65 to 70 weddings per year. And during my time there, I met with every couple, I helped them plan their music, and I played for all of their ceremonies. So I've often heard a dreadful saying by pastoral musicians, quote, that I'd rather play three funerals versus one wedding, end quote. Have you ever heard this saying? Well, while this has always bothered me, I think that the roots lie in a mutual misunderstanding of young couples being married and the pastoral musicians who serve them. The beauty of the sacrament of marriage can often be eclipsed by the secular aesthetic that couples do worry about, from the flowers to the bridal party to, of course, the bride and the groom's ensembles. But just because a couple may not fully grasp the sacrament does not mean that they cannot enter into a paradigm of catechesis prior to their wedding day. And in fact, I think we shortchange many couples by assuming that they do not grasp a general understanding of the liturgy and how it will relate to their wedding. So why not take it as an opportunity to bridge that gap of understanding, even if only to help them more deeply understand their wedding? Today on Ministry Monday, we speak to Paul Radkowski, Director of Music at the Church of St. Edward the Confessor in Granville, Ohio. Paul discusses the ways that pastoral musicians can support couples as they prepare for the sacrament of marriage. How can they best plan their ceremony music? What if a loved one wants to sing in the wedding? What if the couple wants to include secular music into the wedding? Paul addresses these questions and many more. Today on Ministry Monday, I am speaking to Paul Redkowski. Hi, Paul. How are you? I'm doing very well. How are you, Amanda? I'm doing well. Thank you for chatting with us on Ministry Monday. Glad to be here. Now, before we get started in the topic today, would you mind introducing yourself for the listeners just so that they can get to know you a little bit? Sure. Um, I'm currently the music director at the Church of St. Edward the Confessor in Granville, Ohio. I also serve as a co-campus minister at Denison University, along with our youth minister. Um, I've been here since 2014. 
I started playing the organ for Stations of the Cross in fourth or fifth grade, started playing for mass in junior high. Um, I have a master's in liturgical studies from St. John's University um, nice. in Minnesota. I graduated from there in 2008. I served as the liturgy and music coordinator at St. Peter's Church in St. Cloud, Minnesota for two years, and then um, lived in Pittsburgh for four years and uh, worked as a high school chaplain. And I've been here in Granville since 2014 as music director. So. Oh, that's great. Paul, did you know that I live in Pittsburgh? Oh, you do? Oh. Yeah, I should have said that before we started recording. I do. Yeah, I, I, I am. I am sure. I feel very confident that I'm where God has called me to be right now. But I definitely nice. miss Pittsburgh every day, too. Those two things <laughs> in my life. So yeah. I do like Pittsburgh. But anyone that listens to the podcast knows that. So so anyways, um, th this is great. So the reason that I wanted to talk with you today is about weddings. You know, so weddings are something that pastoral musicians or it's a part of what we do. It's a part of how we minister, but I would like to unpack the subtleties and complexities of how we can best serve in weddings. Because I think for a lot of people, ministering on a weekend liturgy makes a lot of sense to us. We've experienced it time and time again, but there is a human element to funerals and weddings where we're working and we're ministering with people who aren't in our ministry normally, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And so, um, so first off, weddings, how do you approach weddings overall? And then we'll kind of break it down. Sure. Um, I think the, the first thing is that to remember that weddings are joyful occasions for, for couples who are coming. I think so often they're so caught up in the stresses of planning everything um, outside of the reception, but also with the church. And I think it's really important for us as ministers of the church to, first of all, to share in the joy of the couple who is engaged, who's preparing to get married and to, um, to really kind of walk with them in that joy and, and remind them that though they may be stressed, though this may be difficult, though meeting with me may be one of the things on their 50 item to-do list, this is a moment to to rejoice, um, to rejoice in this time of engagement and to rejoice in this time of preparing for marriage as well. So that's the first thing is for me to always to be joyful and to be excited. I think so often for many musicians, weddings definitely have their challenges. And I think every pastoral musician has their own story of, oh, would, you wouldn't believe this one wedding. But I hope and I think for me, um, I also have lots of stories of, oh, you wouldn't believe this one wedding, which was just wonderful with this couple. And I, I think um, I always, when I meet with couples, I go in hoping and praying that it will be more like that second than like the first. And, and overall, I think that's not been the case. And I think, um, yeah, so I think just being sure to have, have that joy and to share that joy with them is always the root of my approach. Absolutely. Can you think of one of your favorite wedding stories? Oh, sure. Um, I think one of my favorite weddings was a couple who came in. One of the things, and we'll talk about this more later probably, but when I meet with couples, I always try to meet with both people, both the bride and the groom together um, so that they can be here. And I think they came and they weren't exactly sure what to expect. They, they didn't know me. Um, we have most of our weddings, many of our weddings here at St. Edwards are former parishioners. So they're people who grew up here, moved away and are coming back to get married, or sometimes they're alumni of Denison University. And so they came here when they were in college. Right. At right. Um, and so they didn't necessarily know me um, because they I had come since they had left um, and they weren't exactly sure what to expect. But you could just see throughout kind of throughout the process, they got really excited and they didn't realize the the options that 
they would have to discuss. I think they were expecting, I think they came in maybe expecting kind of a worst case scenario from a couple's perspective, which is here's going to be a musician who's going to come in, who's going to be very rigid, who's going to say, you cannot choose this, there's nothing to do, you have to do this. And it was going to be very difficult from their perspective. And I think you can almost see throughout that, just the meeting, how they opened up and became kind of more excited. And so then it went from the meeting to the wedding itself. And the wedding itself was just, it was a very prayerful experience um, for both both of them. I um, they, wrote, they actually wrote me a thank you note kind of just a couple of days after the wedding, which, which was unusual. You don't often get that. And so, um, yeah, I, I, think, I think it was that I don't, they were expecting it maybe to be more rigid, challenging, um, mm-hmm. unpleasant than, than, than it ended up mm-hmm. being. And then as a result, it ended up being prayerful. I think right. so, so often um, for musicians and couples, I think the other thing in terms of philosophy is that everybody wants the wedding to be a beautiful celebration of the love that they share with each other and the love that God has for them and has called them together in marriage. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that no matter what the difficulties or the disagreements may be, that's always shared. And so I think the more that that can kind of be emphasized, and that's why that wedding was so memorable to me, because I think we pretty quickly in the course of the first meeting kind of came to that. And so from there, everything else was just, yeah, it's really beautiful. So you mentioned, of course, you want to make sure that every couple focuses on the beauty of the liturgy and focuses on really that positive experience. So let's start from the beginning. How, how do you start by interacting with a couple and how do you help facilitate planning for their music? Sure. Um, so the way that it works here at St. Edwards is couples will contact, as they do in many parishes, contact the parish office and set a date. And the parish office staff will encourage them to reach out to me, which many of them do. Um, that's usually three to four months before the wedding. And if I haven't heard from them by about two months before the wedding, then I'll reach out to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll always first do what I can, even though many of our couples live farther away, they're often coming back into town to do s- some wedding planning, to look at reception venues, to see family, whatever it might be. So I always try to plan an in-person meeting at the church with them. Um, for 30, I tell them to allow 30 to 45 minutes, sometimes an hour. Um, but I think it's really important to meet in person so that they can see me and so that they can be here at the church in the space because we're able then, they have many questions when they see the space, not just about music that I can help answer, but they can also hear musical options on the organ and the piano. They can hear exactly what it's going to sound like. And there's yes. something about that being in person and knowing as opposed to, I mean, I have recordings online and I put information online and some couples listen to them beforehand, some don't. Um, some, some listen to other recordings of other organs or string things, um, and they have ideas of what they might want for music, but not exactly. So I think there's something to having that meeting in person. Um, mm-hmm. And then, that, that's something that also, it's, it's ministerial. It's, it's, a, it's accompanying as a minister, accompanying the couple in person together. Um, so yeah, so that's the first thing is, is setting up a meeting. So when they come for the meeting, um, greet them at the door, um, walk up, just ask how the wedding planning is going, all of those kind of questions come up. Um, often, I, I don't do this always, though I should. Um, if I am thinking, I start with just a short prayer, just um, at the beginning of the meeting, and that, that places everything that we're doing in the context of prayer and in the liturgy. And so that's mm-hmm. something that I um, try to do. Um, and then just start by asking about the wedding. Um, Couples are happy to talk about the wedding. How? What's the wedding party look like? Um, how did you meet? Th- those sorts of things. Um, and that also helps me then to have an idea of kind of what they're envisioning for the wedding. Because most couples do come with some idea of how the ceremony is going to go, how the procession is going to go. Um, and so that way, 
after I've done that, then we just kind of walk through the either the mass or the ceremony if it's a wedding outside of mass. And we talk about the, the various musical options along the way. Um, I try as much as possible to give options, but not too many options. So for example, um, starting with prelude music, I say I'll play about 20 minutes of prelude music beforehand. Um, you won't hear it <laughs> because you're going to be busy doing other things. So, um, but would you prefer to be on organ or on piano? Would you prefer to be more lyrical or more joyful and sort of almost bounce sort of thing? So giving choices that um, help help them to choose kind of how is this liturgy going to be without too many choices of saying, what are the seven or eight different prelude songs that you're, you would like to do? Because I think mm -hmm. that makes it much more difficult from the get-go. Um, and the same thing then with the processional. Um, have you talked to our deacon or our pastor about the procession? What is that going to look like? If you have, here are the various musical options for that. We can do one piece or two. The first one can be grand and then we can back off or we can do that um, soft and build to something bigger. So those sorts of things. I think musically, that's uh, they're able to understand that. Um, but that also then opens up for talking about the liturgy itself and not just the music. And this is where we get into, for example, the Psalm and the gospel acclamation text, which in most of the preparation materials that they have, whether it's the USCCB's For Your Marriage website or Together for Life book, those are options that they have and they've gone through and have generally chosen. And if they, if they have, or if they haven't, to talk about why did they choose what they chose? Why did they choose the readings that they chose? And then that can influence then the musical settings that, um, that they choose that can influence things like the uh, if the communion hymn that is going to be sung, um, those those sorts of things. So I, I think not just talking about music, but also talking about the liturgy, because this is one of the few times when couples are really engaged in what's going to happen in this liturgy. They often have lots of opinions about it and are looking for guidance and want to participate, but don't exactly know how to. And so that's where I think balancing sort of the talking about music, slow, fast, grand lyrical or a, with talking about the wedding itself and talking about the liturgy itself and what does liturgy mean why did you choose this procession uh, if they haven't chosen kind of how the procession will go will the bride and groom walk down together will the wedding party couples walk down together and then then how does that influence the music so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely in terms of music selection mm -hmm. what do you do or how do you approach when a couple comes to you and says I have dreamt all my life to walk down to the song from Twilight, A Thousand Years by Christina Perry, or whatever it is. I have dreamt of walking down to this secular, not sacred song. How do you approach a couple pastorally whenever they approach you with maybe a song that can't be included? Yeah, I, I the, the first thing that I do is, and I, I Twilight, that's an example where right away I would know for sure like i've heard that song and i would know that, that we, we, we can't do that the right. first thing i will always do is listen to it and ask them to listen i i will all i i especially if i don't know it i'll always that's the first step is let me listen to it let me look at the lyrics i can't promise anything because one of the things that and this predates me in the diocese of columbus in our parish um the diocese of columbus has guidelines that no music i'm paraphrasing here but it's pretty close no music of secular or non-sacred origin may be used at a wedding ceremony as a prelude before the mass in parentheses during the ceremony during the master ceremony 
or as a postlude after the ceremony. All music must be of a sacred or classical nature. So it's a very, I mean, I can always appeal to that. But I, I, again, I think the first thing is always looking and saying, for example, Twilight, what is it about Twilight? And I realized that we can't, we can't play the theme from Twilight, but that what can we do that at least is connected to that in some way? So whether, is it the music that you like about the, is it the fact that it could be this, this sort of piano? Is there something that we can do that can mat, not match, but they can kind of go along with that? And knowing that in the end, it's not pastoral to say, oh yeah, we can do that. And then to go back uh, and say, actually we can't. I mean, that, that's mm -hmm. not the right approach. But to say, what, it is, what is it about that? Is it something that's meaningful for you as a couple? Is it something that's, mean wh why did you dream your whole life of doing it? <laughs> and, and so what can we do to, at, at the reception or somewhere else where it can be worked in as well? I, can you do something there and here, though, even though we can't do that, we'll do something that at least it has a connection to why you want it done in the first place. Mm -hmm. that makes sense? It's a nice way to approach it. Yeah. And it's a nice way to, to prayerfully explain why, and then defer that song. Cause it still means something to them. Clearly defer it to the reception, defer it to the cocktail hour music. You know, this is such a beautiful song. I think it would be perfect for a song during cocktail hour, or I think it would be perfect as a, uh, an early dance song at your reception, something like that, that, yeah. that validates that they like it but helps them understand why it can't be done during the liturgy. Right, yeah. I, yeah. I, I think some of the biggest challenges that I've um, had with music here have been um, also more Christian contemporary songs. And it's not that they're necessarily lyrically or musically, I mean, they are, they've heard them at a Christian church somewhere, even if not a Catholic church. But I think one of the challenges too, is that they have a vision in their mind of how something is going to sound. And this is, this would be true for Twilight too. Um, there's a vision of how that's going to sound. And if I say, if I play Twilight on the organ, it's not going to sound like it's sounding in your head anyway. Mm -hmm. And that's something where I think when they realize, oh, I had this vision, but oh, we can't do a recording and it wouldn't sound quite the same. Well, maybe I'd rather have it actually the way that I hear it in my head when the wedding party is being introduced at the reception than I would having you play it on the organ where it's gonna maybe sound kind of odd or not or not as good. I, so, I, I mean, I, I think there's something there too that that, that also helps couples because it, with Christian contemporary, it's similar. If there's something where there's they've heard a band or they've heard different instruments during it, something, I'm here, there's a cancer here, and I'm happy to work with you if you have other instrumentalists or things, but that's really going to start to explode um, in terms of the effort and for, for you if, if you're having to pay other musicians to come in. And and I can, that song, I won't sound probably, even if we do our best, which we will, it won't sound exactly like you think it might sound. And I think that's something that also helps couples to realize, oh, maybe the ceremony isn't the best place for this. Right, it doesn't translate well into the uh, the, the situation or the, the, the instrumentation that they'll have. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. So what if someone comes to you and says, my cousin, Jamie wants to sing, she really wants to sing the Ave Maria or something like that. Like how do you incorporate loved ones into the music for the ceremony? Yeah, okay. Yeah. I, I, I'm always happy to do that. And again, my always, I'm always inclined to say, sure, we can do what we can do. So I'll ask them um, if the person has sung before, 
um, how old the person, sometimes it is a cousin who's 13 years old who hasn't sung before. Sometimes yes. it's an aunt or uncle who has been a cantor for 25 years at a, at a parish and has lots of ideas themselves about what wedding music should be. <laughs> um, and, and so I, I always ask them first, um, just for a little more information about that person. And then as quickly as I can, then I ask them just for contact information to put me into contact with them. So I can talk to that person directly because sometimes I can think of one wedding where it was a, it was a teenage girl, a cousin who the couple really wanted her to sing and she wanted to sing, but she hadn't really sung before apart from school concerts and a solo here or there and was really nervous about it. And she herself, she was Catholic, but she, she, the parish she was at had really good cantors. And so it was kind of intimidating that thought, oh, I'm going to be doing that. And so I think that's something where then um, if I can talk to the couple about what they're envisioning for this person singing. And then if I can talk to the person themselves about what they're comfortable doing, that's something too, because sometimes there have been instances where rather than having somebody come and, and sing everything and sing us the Psalm or in the gospel proclamation, which is just a format they're not necessarily familiar with, um, to sing um, one to sing one piece as a, either a final prelude or at some other point of preparation of gifts, where it can be something that's more self-contained, where they're comfortable doing it and the couple is also comfortable with it. So I think I see kind of the role of the music minister there as to sort of play almost mediator and make sure that the couple's vision uh, for what this person would do and what the person really feels comfortable, comfortable doing and what's appropriate can come together. Is that... Oh, yes. One of the things I've experienced is that I have found that they'll say, I want my Aunt Lydia to come and canter. And they'll say, oh, she's a canter. She'll be fine. This this is an exact scenario that happened to me. And then Aunt Lydia came to my rehearsal with her in advance. And I said, okay, so here's everything. And it was a full mass. So, of course, there was the Gloria and the mass parts and everything. And she started singing the old Roman missile words. Oh. And I said, yeah, actually, um, here, I need you to just take a look at this. This is actually, we, we changed it about 12 years ago. And she said, oh, well, I haven't cantered a Catholic mass since 1986. And I'm like, well, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> but the words have changed since you last cantered. And so um, sometimes I think family, loved ones, um, the bride and groom don't necessarily realize that they, they can have someone involved, but maybe they don't necessarily have them sing everything. And that's something that I always tried to emphasize that I always called, I always called the person that handled the liturgical functions, of course, the Psalm, the Alleluia, and of course the mass parts if needed. I called them the primary vocalist because that is the person who is really truly leading um, the congregation for the wedding. But then I always said that their loved one who just wanted to sing, I don't know, Christ be our light at this light, the lighting of the unity candle. I always called them the secondary vocalist because then they were still facilitating some of the music in the wedding, but they weren't so much doing something that was participatory, if that makes sense. It was something yeah. to accompany um, something going on. So whether that was prelude or the lighting of the unity candle or um, something like that, that's really what I was thinking. Yeah, that, 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 that absolutely makes sense. I, I, I think that's something that, um, and I think in my experience, most couples are, are happy to, to, to do that. It, but yeah, I, I think it's really, it is a challenge in those situations where there's someone who hasn't sung before or someone who just isn't, who's someone who is not Catholic. And so just, just the flow of a Catholic wedding or the flow of a Catholic mass where, where everything is what's coming next. Then, so then yes, there's also yes. that additional level of nerve what's coming next. And I've never sung, some, sung something like this before. And honestly, even just things like, for example, responsorial psalm, the way responsorial psalms, the music is printed 
I mean, I always try to get music to outside musicians in advance and as, as much as possible, but that's where you have to find yourself kind of saying, you, I play the refrain once, you sing the refrain once, you sing right. the refrain once, everybody wants, then you do the verse, then everybody sings the refrain. And, and, and it's just, it's really confusing if you haven't done it before. And that's all the more reason where, and I, we've been really blessed here since before I came of, of having many very good cantors. Um, and so I think most wedding couples have a cantor or somebody in mind who they know, who they've heard singing for years. And so even if they have a family member they're like, oh, is such and such still cantering? I remember he was here when I was in college and I'd like, yeah. So it's nice to be able to have that because they're already kind of looking. And I think that's something else too, where I give a lot of credit to my predecessors here. Um, when the music that is done at liturgy week in and week out is done well and is chosen well and is fitting and is appropriate, that helps immensely in terms of preparing weddings because mm -hmm. it's just not just in terms of the music, they know, oh, I've heard the organ and the organ does sound nice. And, oh, I've yep. heard the kids. I've heard the cantors and, and oh, and they're, I mean, I can't tell you how many weddings we've had with, oh, the cantors, oh, they're all, they're all, just whoever's available is fine. I mean, like, but when you can do that, that that's where, that's why music is one of the many, many, many reasons music is so important in preparing it and doing it so well week in, week out. Because when it comes to these weddings, and this is true for funerals too, um, it really, so it makes that process so much, yeah, so much more pleasant and, and simple actually. I couldn't agree more. And everything then, whether they realize it or not, the couples then start to see the life, the liturgical life of the church as a whole, you know, where they don't, maybe they, they don't even realize it, but they, they see and experience the weekend masses that they attend together, right? They're engaged, they're excited. And then they see their wedding, which probably to an extent seems separate, right? I mean, it's a separate date, separate time, separate everything. But when they connect that the musicians that they like on, the, on a Sunday will also be a part of their day for that wedding, I do think it also strengthens their relationship with the parish as well. I really do. Yeah. 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 And I mean, and that's one of the things I always, when a couple is, uh, when they're having a full mass, I mean, I always let them, I always play the different mass settings that we use. I mean, the four, the four we use and said, here are the four mass settings that we use on weekends. You can choose one. And so, I mean, again, this is an option, but it's, it's an option of this is what we do for weekend liturgies. Mm -hmm. And so whichever one of these is okay, but these are the ones that we do in the liturgical life of the parish. These are the ones that, you know, and these are the ones that, um, that we have music for in, in the pews. And so these are the ones that we're going to, to choose from. And I think that, yeah, just things like that, where it, I think you're exactly right. The more that the wedding is connected to the liturgical life of the parish. And even if, even if at this point they're living somewhere away um, and going to a different parish, that sense of connectedness, which is part of the reason why they chose to come back here for the wedding anyway. Right. Um, I, th I think that, that that's something that it just, it's musically helpful. It's emotionally helpful, but it's also, I mean, it's theologically important too. I mean, I think this idea that kind of that, that the God who was there when we met each other and when we got engaged and when we were living here in Granville for a time um, is still here with us now at, at this point, and we'll still be here in the future. I think music, one of the things that it, it, it does that it, when you, when there is that sense of continuity, when there's that sense of, um, of the liturgical life kind of supporting us all the way through. That's something that, that's really profound theologically that, that God has been with us and will continue to be with us as we grow in our marriage. So. I love that. It's true. I want to stay on this for one more second because you just said something interesting, mass parts. So I have found in my years of working with couples that 
brides and grooms are not pastoral musicians 99% of the time. And so most couples don't know the difference between the different alleluia options or the different Gloria options. And so I'm going to tell a secret right now on this podcast that I used with all of my couples. Um, and so I always would approach. So I, I, I like you, I walk through the liturgy whenever I I'm with them, you know, I say, okay, so after this, your second reader is going to come up and say the second reading. And then before your priest or deacon speaks the gospel, we're going to sing an Alleluia. Now, let me explain what the Alleluia is. This is something that we sing right before the gospel. And then I don't even give, this is the one thing I do. I don't even give them an option for this. At first, I say, I'm going to play one for you that you probably recognize. And then I start singing and playing the Celtic Alleluia. And I'll tell you, (laughs) I'll tell you right there. I I'll admit again on this podcast that sometimes I get couples where the bride's very engaged, but the groom is not at first. I cannot tell you how many grooms, the minute I start to play that, they nod their head, they look around like, and so I I do it. And then I look at them and I say, does that sound familiar? And they go, oh yeah, absolutely. And without fail, those are the grooms that I look up on their wedding day on the altar. And I can see the groom's foot tapping and he's like, his shoulders are moving a little or he's singing along to the Celtic Alleluia. There's something about the Celtic Alleluia that, I, I like to give options for everything, but I really start with the Celtic Alleluia for weddings because it is kind of like the unofficial universal Alleluia for weddings. And you are gathering these people in this space that even when they're not Catholic, or even if they are Catholic, you're bringing them into a, a wedding that for some reason is very like disillusioning for people. Like I, I once cantered a family wedding and my, my father and brother brothers were right in the front and we are lifelong Catholics, Paul. Like this is not a new thing. And I, I gestured and my dad and brothers just staring at me, <laughs> you know, so there's something about a wedding that the more you can encourage participation with familiar things, the better. So anyway, I have found that couples don't typically pick all settings or mass settings. So those in particular, I really take time on because those they're not used to, but I have so many people that say, oh, right away. I want one bread, one body for communion because that's what we sang at my Catholic school. Like those types of things people can really identify, but they cannot by nature, I believe, identify the Gloria, Alleluia and mass parts, unless you're a cantor or something like that. Right. Yeah, I, I I agree with you about the couch call. Hallelujah. I don't know if there's been a wedding here that we haven't done the couch call because that, that <laughs> is exactly the same. Like, yeah, we do the couch call. Hallelujah. Usually here, it's the one that goes like this. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's oh right. yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, but I, I and I, I think for for the mass setting, I mean, the mass settings that we've used here, the diocesan mass setting here, um, when the Roman Missal translation came out, the diocese mm-hmm. had all the parishes learn the mass in honor of Saint Benedict. Okay. Um, and then uh, my predecessor taught the Mass of Christ the Savior. Mm-hmm. Um, we the Land of Rest and Holy Mass and the Holy Cross, Lamb of God. Um, and so, and then the Chant Mass as well, kind of the four mm-hmm. that we mm-hmm. And so usually people, um, nobody generally picks the Chant Mass, um, but you, but usually they, they have a, they have a sense of like the Mass of 
the same pandemic mass is sort of grand. And if they are having, if they have a trumpeter, if they have an instrumentalist of some kind that works really well for them. Some people like the mass of Christ Savior because they feel that it's it's more joyful and a little bit lighter. And, and so again, it's not that they necessarily know the mass things because I agree, I agree with you. If I said, do you want the mass of Christ the Savior or the mass of St. Benedict? They would have no idea what I'm talking about. Yeah, they, are, they don't know the names. They know the melodies. They just but, don't but, know but the names. Exactly, but they know the melody and they know kind of, and again, sort of the feel. And this goes back to the, the prelude music it's, too. I, I mean, if, in the processionals and it's not so much for most people about the pieces but it is about the the feel and the vision and they they can musically say i like this or i don't like this so my the way i usually do processionals and recessionals is i always say it's it's like the eye doctor i'm gonna play one or two and you're gonna tell me which one you like better one or two and then i'm gonna play another one and and, and we just kind of go through there and what happens is um sometimes people come and they're like oh i want that thing that everybody has so uh, canon and d yeah that or, or or what's the other one? Oh, the yezu joy of man's design yes that uh is that like sometimes it's that or the trumpet voluntary or whatever it is but sometimes they want something different or they they don't want something that's standard and so at those moments they don't know what to ask for but they do have an idea of i want something that sounds kind of grand like more like a trumpet or yes. i want something that sounds more like it'd be like a, a violin or something softer i want something that'll work on piano or something so that's where kind of the the eye doctor one or too it keeps the options limited yes. and usually what happens is by the time you get to you know five or six they have a pretty good idea of, of one or two that they like the most and then it's not it hasn't been overwhelming it hasn't been overwhelming for me but also in terms of the appropriateness of it it's not go off and listen to these 25 recordings and, and pick the one that you think and then i'll play what it sounds like no it's kind of here's what, what works here and it, so it keeps it limited and manageable as well. Um, and I think that's something important too, because people, again, people want beauty, the beauty, they want the transcendence and the beauty of music, but I, I don't think they, they don't necessarily know the composer or the era right. or the, the specific piece. So yeah, so right. I, I, the, the eye doctor thing is like, and that's something that's, yeah, it's talking about in terms of, it's, I mean, it's kind of funny, but they know immediately what to do. I, um, whenever I suggested postlude songs, I always used to try and make a joke because I know at that point we, we've gone through a lot of music and it, I, again, to someone who's not a musician, it can kind of get overwhelming. So I always used to joke when we used to get to the process or the re, uh, the recessional and the postlude. I always did play like three or, and then at, at the fourth, I'd say, okay, after the fourth, after this one, I'm going to stop because they all start to sound the same. Right, and right. every time they laugh because it's true for them. So, okay. So we, we've walked th through all the music with the couples. How mm -hmm. do you kind of bridge the gap between the time that you meet with them and then the ceremony day itself? Sure. Um, one of the things that I do is we as a parish do not print worship aids or print any kind of programs, but many couples want to. So one of the things that I do is I always, once they've chosen the music, I say, I'll email you a list of the music and of the composers. We have at this point now, um, we have a license for reprinting music. Um, we have hymnals in the pews, but we were before the hymnals came back with COVID and everything, we were printing worship aids. And so I said, if you, we can do an insert with music as well for the congregational parts for now. Um, but I think I always offer to proofread the worship aids or the programs. Um, and that keeps them kind of connected, but it also ensures, again, this is one of those things where this is a one-time thing for them. This is the one time that they're going to be making some sort of a program for something probably. It's in their right. And so um, 
I, I think they really appreciate kind of having another set of eyes to look and say, no, th this doesn't quite go there. You might want to include this. You don't have, no, you don't need to include all of this text here. No, it, like those, you don't need to have every single sit and stand. Monsignor is very good about telling people when to sit and stand. Um, so like those sorts of things. Um, so that's one thing that I do. I also always go to the rehearsal. And I know this is one of the things that for um, many pastoral musicians is a challenge because especially we have here at St. Edwards, we've averaged probably eight to 10 weddings the last couple of years. Um, and so it, it's not, I, I'm not in a parish where there are 30 weddings a year um, or more. And so I would become more onerous then, absolutely. But I think given that it's a manageable number of um, weddings, I always go to the rehearsal and I just sit in the back pew and I don't play anything. And I just, I, I just sit there for those 45 minutes because that's when everything is being worked out. How's this procession actually going to look? How, who is the last person who's going to come in before the bride or the bride and the groom? Um, just for my sake, being on the loft and having some idea of what's going to happen there. Because sometimes if, if, you, if, if I'm not there and then I come on Saturday and the, oh, everything has changed from when we met four months ago and oh, this person now isn't here and oh, and we're doing this instead. And that, I, I'd much rather have a sense of what's going, what are the musical cues going to be? So I, that is one thing that I do. And again, I don't, I don't usually talk to the couple at the rehearsal beyond just a, hi, how are you doing? It's good to see you again. I'll see you tomorrow. But I think just knowing that I'm there, knowing that I'm there back, and sometimes it's been really helpful for them just to have someone else back there kind of helping guide people to answer questions for photographers, because we often have photographers and videographers on the loft and they come to the rehearsal and want to talk to somebody. And um, and Monsignor Anki or Deacon John is busy with everything else. And so, yeah, so it, it's, it's good just to be there for that. And then I'm there, um, the day of the wedding, just to answer any questions again beforehand. But yeah, in terms of bridging, usually just really helping with the worship page and the programs and then being at the rehearsal are the two big things. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So as we wrap up, are there any resources or websites that you could recommend that maybe would support pastoral musicians who really want to start to implement some of the things that you talked about today, other than this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> um, start, starting with the whatever resources are being given to your couples by your parish, whether that's Together for Life or some other um, some other resource. I think it's really important for musicians to start with that because if that's being given to the couples and it's saying you might have these musical options and, and these sorts of things, and that's not something that's actually done, but you kind of need to know that. And that's, um, I think for musicians, the more of those kind of resources, what is actually being given to couples, that can be as helpful as anything. Because then you know, if you, the four-year marriage, the USCCB website, but also, I mean, take the plunge and Google music for Catholic wedding and look at all the things that come up and realize that some of it is crazy, but realize that some of this is what people are looking and they're seeing before mm. they come and, and meet with you and to know those things. And so I think it's important resource wise to know that, but ultimately I think the biggest resource is the right itself. Um, look, look, become familiar with the wedding right, especially since the, um, the new translation, be familiar with what are the options now? What, what does it say about the glory? What does it say about the hymn or the acclamation of praise after the exchange of vows and, and ring? I mean, like there, there are a lot of things that for musicians, it can, for me, I mean, I, I majored in liturgical studies and I was a liturgist as well. And so I, I don't think twice about going to the right book, but I think for a lot of pastoral musicians, it's just, it's intimidating. It's this, that's one of those big books in the sacristy that I, father touches that, I don't need to worry about that. Well, 
no, like read through it. It's okay. And I think it's really important to look at the right and then to find some sort of an accompaniment guide to the right. And whether that's something I know LTP has published a few different things, um, their guide for celebrating matrimony and those, those sorts of resources that accompany then the right. Um, I think that's really helpful because most musicians, my experience with things, they, they know a lot about music and know a lot about musical options, but how that actually fits into the right and what the right is supposed to be, I think is something that um, that kind of formation can be really beneficial for, for musicians. Paul, this has been truly a joy. Thank you for sitting down and talking through all of the things and all of the details that help to make couples truly understand the sacred and truly embrace the liturgical part of their day as they prepare for the sacrament of marriage. Thank you for your time today. Oh, absolutely. Uh, obviously, happy to do it. I, I, I love planning weddings. It's, it's so, I think as music, as musicians, so often we spend our time alone on choir lofts or looking through books and practicing music and things. And, and so it's it's so wonderful. I, I, I always enjoy meeting with couples because it's so, minis it's ministerial and it's wonderful. Right. And so I'm, I'm happy to have a chance to, to talk about it and to share that joy and to share my experience here. Amen. The Lord is kind and merciful, slow to anger and rich in compassion. El Señor es compasivo y misericordioso. My soul. Thanks so much to Paul for his time today. For more information about Paul and the resources that he mentions, check out the show notes of this episode at ministrymonday.org. The recording of The Lord is Kind and Merciful, El Señor es Compasivo, is produced by GIA Publications. Today's theme music was produced by Aaron Schaus, and today's episode of Ministry Monday was produced by me, Amanda Bruce. That's it for today. With the Spirit's gifts empowering us for the work of ministry, thanks for listening. Have a great week, and we'll see you back here next Monday. El perdona todas tus culpas y cura todas tus enfermedades. Rescata tu vida de la fosa y te colma de gracia y ternura. The